Hi, this is Al Aguilar, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Welcome, church. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Sunday sermon. It is Sunday, April 16th. Today we begin a new four-week series called The Way, and we're going to see through four select passages in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus offers a new way to the people of God. He invites them and us to light the way for others and to keep the way with integrity and righteousness. Finally, we'll see that he can do all of this because he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. All this and a whole lot more, so let's get ready by starting with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you that your blessing and kindness extend to every corner of humanity. Lord, you look upon the lowly and meek in the same way that you look upon kings and queens. We are blessed in knowing you, Jesus, and blessed that you have come to save sinners like us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. We begin with part one. It's called A New Way. I'm just really excited because we're starting with a look into one of the most beloved passages in the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount is just three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but it speaks volumes. We start at the very beginning of this amazing sermon as we dive into Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, most of your Bibles will have this passage of Scripture titled appropriately, The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes presented a code of ethics for the disciples as well as a standard of conduct for all believers. They contrasted kingdom values, what is eternal in other words, with worldly values, what's temporary. They also contrasted the superficial faith of the Pharisees with the real faith that Christ wants. And lastly, they show how the future kingdom will fulfill Old Testament expectations. It's here in these Beatitudes that we learn that the blessings of the kingdom are not just for those with power and position, but they're available for the meek, the brokenhearted, the gentle, the persecuted, the peacemaker, etc. And the blessings of the kingdom are available for us as well because all of us need Jesus. He makes a new way for all to be saved and to experience the manifold blessings of God. So open up your Bible or Bible app and let's begin by reading through Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 together allowing the words of Jesus to begin working their way into us today. Here we go, Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Now, as this passage begins, you'll notice that in verse 1a, Jesus saw the crowds of people gathering. In other words, his ministry was gaining momentum. More and more people were coming out to see who this Jesus was that healed the sick and preached the law with such insight and authority. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 25 tells us that great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and far beyond the Jordan. Not only were the crowds of people there, there were large crowds of different kinds of people. Jesus didn't just attract the normal religious kind. He attracted everyone. There was something different about him. Now, going further in verse 1, we see that he went up on the mountain and he sat down. Now, there could be lots of reasons for sitting on a mountainside, possibly a better view of all those people, maybe better acoustics for preaching, or maybe it was something more. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, believed that there was a connection between the mountainside of Matthew 5.1 and Mount Sinai of Exodus 19, verses 3 and 20, where the Ten Commandments were originally given to the Jews. In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, What is meant by mountain, we can well see that it stands for the greater precepts of righteousness, the lesser ones, of course, being those which were given to the Jews. The connection being that God had used a mountain before to teach his people. In this case, Jesus sat down to teach, which was a normal practice for rabbis. So what is he teaching now? What's so important about this sermon that Jesus needed a mountain? What greater truth is God bringing from heaven to earth? As we continue, look at verse 3. We see Jesus opening his mouth to teach, and he says these incredibly unforgettable words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins by saying that the poor in spirit are blessed. This is not, however, a reference to people with money or finances or issues like that. To be poor in spirit is the opposite of being self-confident or self-reliant, especially in a spiritual sense. The poor in spirit recognize they are incapable of providing for themselves by their own strength, goodness, and righteousness. They know themselves to be spiritually bankrupt of true goodness. They can't hope to bargain or earn their way into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, though, that they are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is already theirs, and the kingdom belongs to those who recognize their need for salvation. But if that's not amazing enough, then check this out. In the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, the word blessed was a familiar acknowledgement. It was used in reference to the gods who were not subject to earthly frailties or misfortunes, and of persons who were judged in some way to share the privileged state of the gods. In the Jewish world of the Old Testament and beyond, blessing was seen as happiness of a person or group because of certain praiseworthy religious behaviors or attitudes, judged to be fortunate because it is assumed that God rewards trust in him with worldly well-being. As modern-day readers, we can see this line of thinking all the way back to the book of Job. In fact, Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Job is considered blessed when everything is fine and cursed when adversity strikes. But in Jesus' ministry, blessing takes on a very different form. Suddenly, in opposition to both Greco-Roman and Jewish thought, blessings become linked with things like persecution, poverty, humility, peacemaking, and sickness. The blessing is not an earthly one tied to what you have done or what you haven't done. It's one that will come through a faith in Jesus and a commitment to the kingdom of heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches in a new way. He offers a better commandment and teaching to the people of God. And as we know now, it turned the world upside down. To continue on this path of thought, let's keep reading in Matthew 5 and look at verses 4 through 11. Here, Jesus goes on to identify several more groups of people worthy of blessing. Take a look at verse 4. The first group is those who mourn. This means the realization of our unworthiness before God, and it also requires sorrow for our sins. The next group is the meek in verse 5. 
The word meek doesn't mean weak, though that's how many people misinterpret it. The word is best understood as gentleness or a refusal to take control by brute force or manipulation. Meekness from a Christian perspective is about faith. It's about trusting God to win the battle in the end instead of going to extremes to win the battle on our own terms. The next group is in verse 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The words hunger and thirst picture intense longings that we desire to satisfy, necessities that we can't live without. The next group is in verse 7, the merciful. Merciful people realize that because they receive mercy from God, they must extend mercy to others. Next in verse 8, the pure in heart. People characterized as pure in heart are morally pure, honest, and sincere. They are people of integrity, and you have a single-minded commitment to God. Next up in verse 9 is the peacemakers. These people actively work for peace, to cause reconciliation, to end bitterness and strife. This peace is not appeasement, but dealing with and solving problems to maintain peace. Next up in verse 10, the group is the persecuted. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus included this people group. People who put others before themselves will seldom receive applause and honor. Often, they'll be persecuted instead. Because they live for God, they stand out in the world and become marks for enemy attacks. The world is under Satan's control and believers belong to the opposing army. And lastly, in verse 11, the falsely accused. In this verse, Jesus adds details about what persecution might look like and what might cause it. Those who opposed Jesus might insult his followers, abuse them, and falsely accuse them of doing terrible things. Now, at the time Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, this hasn't happened yet to those who follow him. However, this blessing comes as an early warning that such abuse is indeed coming. Now, that's quite a list of people, isn't it? Quite a distinctly different list from those who would have been counted as blessed in the Greco-Roman and Jewish cultures. The kingdom that Jesus comes from and shares with others is a thoroughly different one than the world he was born into. His is a thoroughly different kingdom than the one we live in today as well, which is what makes his teaching perpetually relevant to all of us. One commentator says, Jesus ascribes blessing to the poor, hungry, weeping, and hated, not because these persons have accomplished anything themselves, but because Jesus' presence signifies the inauguration of the kingdom of God and a new reality for them. The persecuted are proclaimed blessed because Jesus' presence signifies the invasion of a new reality that transcends the troubles of the age. In Jesus, folks, we see a new way to life, blessing, and ultimately, salvation. Those in attendance at the Sermon on the Mount were likely those on the outside of society, as evidenced by the kinds of people that Jesus pronounces blessings on. These are the people that those with power and position would have kept at arm's length. These are the people that the enemy would have been spewing condemnation and guilt upon. Why can't you pull it together? You'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. Maybe you've heard those accusations before. Maybe you're here today and you're well aware of your need for Jesus. You're poor in spirit. You're hungry and thirsty for God. And you've been persecuted, condemned, and falsely accused for your faith. Beloved, Jesus has a place for you. He brings you close and he says, you are blessed. He says in verse 3, yours is the kingdom of heaven. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you'll be admitted into the kingdom of heaven. And of course, the final consummation of all these rewards and of the kingdom itself lies in the future. But you can already share in the kingdom as far as it has been revealed by living out Jesus' words. God also says you'll be comforted. Look at verse 4. 
Whether you mourn for sin or in suffering, God's promise is that you'll be comforted. Only God can take away sorrow for sin. Only God can forgive and erase it. Only God can give comfort to you who suffer for his sake because you know your reward in the kingdom. God then says you'll inherit the earth, verse 5. Ironically, it won't be the arrogant and wealthy people who will get everything. Instead, the whole earth will belong to the meek. Jesus used earth to refer to the future inheritance of the kingdom. According to Revelation chapters 21 and 22, believers will enjoy a new heaven and a new earth. One day, God will freely give his true disciples what they did not grasp for themselves on earth. Next, God says in verse 6, you'll be satisfied, or some of your Bibles will say filled. Those who have an intense longing for justice, or in other words, righteousness, are blessed. Most likely, this refers to personal justice, being so filled with God that the person completely does God's will. Justice refers to total discipleship and complete obedience. It may also refer to justice for the entire world, an end to the sin and evil that fill it. In both cases, God's promise is sure. You will be satisfied in full. He will completely satisfy spiritual hunger and thirst. Next, God says in verse 7, you will receive mercy. Mercy implies generosity, forgiveness, and compassion as a desire to remove the wrong as well as alleviate the suffering. This promise does not guarantee mercy from people. Our comfort comes in the knowledge that no matter how the world treats us, God will show us mercy both now and when he returns. He also says in verse 8, you will see him, you will see God. Because of your sincere devotion to Christ, you will see God here and now through the eyes of faith, Hebrews 11:27, and finally face to face, 1 John 3, 2. And next God says in verse 9, you'll be called sons or children of God. Arrogant, selfish people don't concern themselves with peacemaking. Peacemakers will be called sons of God, children of God, because they reflect the Father's character. And lastly, in verse 10, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Your reward, beloved, for living for God and standing firm in Christ will be the kingdom of heaven. God will make up for the suffering that you, his children, have undergone because of your loyalty to him. As the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2.19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Amen to that. There's a beautiful old song that the Gaithers sang years ago, and it says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. True that. History knows them as the 40 martyrs of Sebaste, which is in modern-day Turkey. They were soldiers of the famed 12th Legion of Rome's Imperial Army, known as Armed with Thunder, around A.D. 320. One day, the captain informed his troops that Emperor Licinius had sent down an edict commanding all soldiers to offer a sacrifice to pagan gods. Forty of the soldiers were followers of Christ, and they refused. They were taken into custody, unsuccessfully bribed to deny their faith, interrogated and beaten cruelly with stones, whips, hooks, and chains, but they refused to renounce their faith. They said, and I quote, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ, end quote. The emperor decided to make an example of these soldiers, so he ordered that they be stripped of their garments and cast upon the frozen lake below the walls of Sebaste during the worst winter weather to die slowly and severely of exposure. Sentinels guarded the lake's perimeter, tended the fires along the edge, and tormented the Christians to renounce their faith with warm water baths if they left the frozen lake and came ashore. 
Forty naked soldiers on the lake encouraged each other and sang hymns. They even prayed aloud, Lord, we are forty engaged in this contest. Grant that forty may receive crowns and that they may not fall short of that sacred number. As the night went on, the guard Algaeus waited to see if any might deny Christ and cross the ice. As he watched, he had a vision where he saw crowns coming down from heaven for each of the Christian soldiers, except for one. One soldier had abandoned the contest and ran to the bathhouse, but died as he entered the bath. Seeing this, Algaeus professed, I too am a Christian, and stripped off his clothes to join the others on the frozen lake, making the number 40 complete. When the ordeal was over, the Roman soldiers carried 40 frozen men off the ice. In Jesus, we're given a radical new way to righteousness. It's a way not based on your possessions or abilities. It's not based upon your position or power. It's actually not based upon anything you can do at all. It's based solely on Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, the question of salvation is simply, do you have him? Do you have Jesus Christ? Or maybe more to the point, does he have you? Have you confessed your sins to him? Do you believe that he is Lord? Are you willing to be baptized into Christ? In Jesus, you're no longer held at a distance or told that you'll never be valuable enough. In Jesus, you are brought close, you are blessed, and you're forgiven, and you are redeemed. For his is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.